If you have a Bible and would like to, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, both tonight and then again on Easter Sunday. There's so much in this verse that we're going to unpack. We're just going to take a phrase tonight, and we're going to take a phrase on Easter Sunday, and we're going to understand better Easter weekend, what it means that Jesus bore our sin and our shame. I'm in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, in this very familiar verse, verse 2. Hear now God's word. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray again, give us eyes, give us hearts, give us minds, give us strength to see, to behold, to believe in your crucified and risen Son. We beg you for your mercy in this respect, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we said that the writer to the Hebrews is giving us just this very simple command, look to Jesus. That's what he says, look to Jesus. That's all we plan to do tonight. That's what we've been doing. That's what we'll do in this sermon. We will look to Jesus. The whole reason we gathered our families after work on a Friday night and drug us over here and we're keeping them in line is to, God willing, by his grace, allow us to do this one thing well. Open our eyes, see Behold and look to Jesus. Only we know that in the Greek, the tense here is not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing thing. The tense in the Greek means to continually look to Jesus. So this is not a one-time Good Friday kind of deal, of course. This is an ongoing, whether I'm dead or alive, for the rest of this life and the life to come, God willing, I will continually look to Jesus. Come hell or high water, come trial or tribulations, come addictions or persecution, come callousness or apathy, God, would you give me eyes to continually, at all times, look to Jesus? Only when the writer to the Hebrews says look, he doesn't just mean see. He doesn't just mean behold. He doesn't even just mean think about. The writer to the Hebrews, when he says look to Jesus, he means believe. Believe in Jesus. Looking to Jesus, it means trusting in Jesus. Looking to Jesus means banking one's life on Jesus. Looking to Jesus means accepting his terms of peace. That when Jesus goes to the cross and experiences the wrath of God, if we will behold him and believe in him, God takes the whole of our sin and places it on his son Jesus, that he will pay the penalty of our sin, and then he takes his righteousness and places it on us, that we can experience new life in Christ. When we look to Jesus, we are believing in the truth of the gospel. All of that is found in that little phrase, 
looking to Jesus. It kind of makes me think of a cartoon character. You know, when a cartoon character is packing a suitcase, he's got this little suitcase, and he's got this mound of stuff to come with him, and in cartoons, he can just kind of keep loading and loading and loading, and shut the top and jump on top of it, and kind of strap it, and it all fits. It all is tightly wound in this little suitcase. That's, that's exactly what's happening here in our passage. You've got all of this crammed into this little phrase, look to Jesus. We do it daily, we do it hourly, we do it continually. When we look, we're believing, we're hoping, we're trusting, we're enduring. We bank our lives on the inexhaustible person and work of Jesus. All that's there in that little phrase, look to Jesus. Well, tonight on Good Friday, when we do that and we obey that command, it's a little uncomfortable for us to do because the cross is a scary thing to look at. It's an uncomfortable thing for us to slow down and observe. It's not a scary thing because I'm looking at a historical character who suffered a really awful death. It's scary because I am peering in to the very wrath of God for my sin. When I look at the cross, I'm looking to the place where I should hang, where I should absorb the wrath of God myself, but I'm not there. Jesus is there in my stead to absorb that wrath for me, And at times, the horrific beauty of that is too hard for me to bear. Hebrews reminds us that in this race set before Jesus, that he endures for our salvation, he does at least two things. This is what the writer wants to emphasize. One, he endures the cross. And two, he despises its shame. Let's think about those two things very briefly. Number one, Jesus endured the cross. Make no mistake, the Roman cross was an instrument of torture. It was designed, it was thought about it, it was planned to be for a slow and an agonizing death. This was not a task for Jesus to complete. This was a cruelty for him to endure. But you know, enduring the cross, it doesn't just begin with the cross itself in the life of Jesus. We know that it actually begins in his incarnation. It actually begins when Jesus gives up equality with God and becomes man incarnate to live and to tabernacle and to walk among us. That's when the suffering begins for Jesus. And it continues in his ministry. It continues as he experiences threats and abuse and mocking from those he comes to minister to. And we know that the cross hung like a dark cloud over the final months of Jesus' ministry when he began to, for the first time, tell his disciples, I know I'm only 33 years old, and I know you picture a good thing we have here that could go on for decades, but that's not going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be caught 
and I'm going to be abused, and I'm going to be crucified. The devil was in the details of this weekend. Anguished prayer, betrayal, arrest, a mock trial, beating, spitting, whipping. The description of Isaiah 53 is hard to read. That the Son of God would be stricken, smitten, afflicted, wounded, and ultimately he would be crushed. I don't know if you've ever asked this question. I've wondered this before. Why Jesus had to die such a slow, such an agonizing death. I mean, if all he came to do was to trade his blood for sin, what if when he was in Gethsemane, the soldiers appeared, and one of them just struck him down then? It would be quick, it would be painless, it would be easy, Jesus would die for our sins. Why couldn't that have been the story of the end of Jesus' life? I believe the book of Isaiah makes clear that in order to carry all of our sin, all of our grief, all of our sorrow, Jesus had to become the object of God's unadulterated anger towards sin. Every blow, every whip, every thorn, every nail, every grasp for breath held the damning weight of our sin. Jesus, by his own design, had to die an awful death. And the book of Hebrews says he did that and he endured that. He endured the cross. Well, secondly, we hear that he despised its shame. What does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus despised the shame of the cross? Very simply, crucifixion was a humiliating death. In fact, we know it was so humiliating that it could not be used on Roman citizens. If you were an upstanding citizen of the Roman Empire, you could not be crucified. This was only reserved for the worst of the worst, non-Roman, subhuman slaves and rebels. Later, when Paul is writing a letter to the Romans, he starts that letter, you'll remember, in Romans chapter 1, saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would Paul need to say that? What's there to be ashamed of if you're propagating a new faith? He says that because at the center of this gospel stands a crucified, humiliated criminal. And Paul needs to go out of his way to say, I know that's shameful, but I am not ashamed to declare this kind of gospel. And so the cross, we realize, was not just inflicted on Jesus' body, but also his soul. It wasn't just painful, it was also deeply shameful. It was a mockery. It was designed to break a human being into a naked, dehumanized pulp. Jesus not only endured the pain of the cross, he despised its shame. When faced with the humiliation of the cross, he put the shame in its place. He despised it. He was not overcome by it. 
Those are the twin things that Jesus is doing on Good Friday. Let's pull all of these strands together as we think about this. Here's our command. Look to Jesus. Continually, daily, constantly look to Jesus. In your looking, you are trusting You are abiding, you are believing, you are hoping in Jesus. And when you see him with eyes of faith, you see the one who endured the cross and despised its shame, who bore it in my place. When I feel distant from God, I look to Jesus who draws me near to God. When I feel hopeful and happy, I look to Jesus who builds the broad foundation for my happiness and my joy. When I feel beaten down and tired and apathetic, like I can't keep doing this anymore, I look to Jesus, whose enduring and despising helps me endure and despise. In all things, in all places, at all times, I look, I behold, I abide in the precious, bleeding, suffering, dying Savior whose pain and shame covers my pain and shame forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, may we look to you in this. May we look to you in your pain and shame, in your broken body and your broken heart as you endured the torture and the humiliation of the cross. And in our looking, might we believe these things to be true for ourselves, that the wrath of God is satisfied and that we will never in this life or the life to come experience what you experienced, separation from your Father. Let us look, let us believe, let us behold, let us be strengthened with endurance because you yourself endured. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.